While we have a large portion of Acts 6, 7, and 8 written, I'm going to be reading just what is listed here. Um, Our New Testament reading is from Acts 6, verse 8 to 7, verse 2, and 7, verses 44 to 8, verse 4. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some of the men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes, Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel." Then the high priest asked him, Are these things so? And Stephen replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our ancestors had the tent of testimony in the wilderness, as God directed when he spoke to Moses, ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our ancestors. And it was there until the time of David, who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is this place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he, ground, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. 
but Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 21. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thank you. I know that was a really long reading, and I don't know how many people were super, super nervous when you picked up your bulletin and there are pages and pages of text. Uh, I think we're breaking new records this morning here at Resurrection with uh, the amount of words that we've included in the bulletin today. Um, and for those who are at home, we're going to get to a part in the sermon where you might want to hit pause and go grab a Bible because we're not going to put all of the words up on the screen. Um, so maybe grab a Bible and have it ready. So this is a really important story in the book of Acts, this portion that we have today. And it's not just because this is the record of the first Christian martyr, uh, although it is, and it is important for those reasons, but it is also going to change the course of the church um, as the death of many martyrs does. But this one in particular has, it's providing this pivot point that is really important and really quite essential, um, kind of a, a pushing this early church out of their comfort zone into the direction that God is wanting the church to go in. And so uh, paying a lot of attention and really giving Stephen his due is actually quite an important thing for us to do. So Jerusalem has been in an uproar ever since Pentecost at the very beginning of the book of Acts. And everything that is going on that is being changed in Jerusalem, all of the arguments that are happening, the transformation within the Jewish community is all because of the spirit. So the spirit is shaking people and is forcing them to get out of their comfort zones and is actually requiring that they change their preconceived ideas of what being God's people is actually all about. And it's going to be a challenge. Now, this theme of the spirit and the invasive way that the spirit forces people to change is not new 
in, especially not in Acts. I mean, Luke has been covering this through the gospel and Acts. So we think of the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as written by the same author to be read together, volumes one and volume two. So we're hanging out in volume two, but we need to recognize it's connected to you and needs to be read in light of volume one. And the spirit shows up with Jesus's ministry. In fact, in John chapter or Luke chapter four, Jesus is saying it's because the spirit is on me, this is the restoration that God is bringing for his people. And then we watch this whole ministry of Jesus as he is working and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This fulfilled promise that God's spirit is going to reside among his people. And then towards the end of Jesus's life, there's this promise that Jesus will pour out his own spirit onto the church and his followers can take what Jesus is doing and amplify it and go even further. And so then we get the beginning of the book of Acts and Acts chapter one, verse eight is this pivotal, I mean, it's, it's the table of contents for the book of Acts. It's telling us exactly what is to come in the book you will be my witnesses, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is one of those things where I, I go, we always pay attention to like what comes later in the verse, but it's, you have to be a witness of whom or of what, right? There has to be this personal experience of transformation. Something has changed. You have witnessed and seen. And so now you're going to bear witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's this amazing like call to action. This is what's going to happen in the church. And Pentecost does happen. For the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, this is in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The thing is, all of the action in the book of Acts has stayed in Jerusalem. There's been no Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria much less uttermost parts of the earth, we're still very temple-focused, and we're still very Jerusalem-focused, and we're still very core identity of the Jewish people-focused. And that's going to change, because Jesus said it needs to change when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So as we've been traveling through these early chapters of the book of Acts, we've seen things like uh, Peter, who gets up in chapter two and gives this brilliant sermon pulling from the book of Joel to say, restoration has come upon us. God's kingdom is here. And you know how we know? Because men and women, rich and poor, and everyone in between, they're all involved. It's like, oh, it's like this really cool, and the church explodes. You know, and then we get Peter and John, and they're again at the temple, and they meet a man who's been lame from birth, and they heal him, and then Peter gives another brilliant sermon, and more people go, oh, amazing. Like, things are shifting and stirring. And then we have the stories, like what we had Last week when Vita was here and talking about um, the Hellenistic Jewish synagogue and then these Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking Jews and there's trouble amongst this early church and new leaders are brought in as, as things are multiplying and growing. 
So we've had all of these events, but again, all very specifically Jerusalem-oriented and very, very temple-oriented. We also have been told of lots of interactions with the synagogue, or not the synagogue, the Sanhedrin, so this ruling Jewish council. Um, Peter is involved most of the time, so Peter and John are pulled before the Sanhedrin, kept in jail overnight, and the Sanhedrin gives them a very stern warning and then sent away. A couple chapters later, the apostles are all gathered together because of what they're teaching in the temple, and they're put in jail, and an angel frees them, and they go back to the temple. And then they're gathered up again, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, in that time, they end up flogging them and then letting them go. This is the third trial, the trial of Stephen. And it doesn't happen in isolation. It happens among the backdrop of everything else. And so by the time Stephen is pulled before the Sanhedrin, they've been having this conversation. And they're a little bit miffed at all that these Jewish believers in Jesus are doing and saying. They're shaking the boat. So these events and these trials are leading us up to uh, being able to be introduced to Stephen. Now, we actually met him last week. Stephen is part of the Hellenistic Jews who were elected by the early church leaders to help take care of some of the misunderstandings and some of the problems within the church. So we know that Stephen is a great leader. And then in our passage, we're introduced to Stephen, not just as a leader, but that he is full of grace and power. And he seems to be one who's also doing wonders and signs. And how is all of this possible? Well, it's because he's been filled with the Spirit. And so later in verse 10, it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit with which he spoke. And even just hearing it's because of the spirit that Stephen can speak with such wisdom inside the synagogue makes us go, oh yeah, Luke already told us that in Jesus's ministry, Jesus promised, when I pour out my spirit, my spirit will give you the words that you need to know at the right time. So by this time, we're starting to go, oh, now this is really interesting. There are all kinds of parallels between Stephen and Jesus. Not saying Stephen is another Jesus, no. But saying Jesus was filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, which ultimately led to his death and his resurrection and the birth of the church. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, is being moved by the Spirit to go and do God's work. And the Spirit is very present in a very challenging and wonderful and amazing way. But it's going to challenge Stephen's community, and it's going to challenge their identity as God's people. And that can be really disconcerting and really hard. So... Stephen's community, this disagreement that happens first in the synagogue of the Hellenized Jews, um, there's a conversation that starts in a disagreement. And 
this is not unusual. Synagogues are the places where Jews would gather and robustly talk about scripture and having disagreements and arguments over the interpretation of scripture is normal. That's just how you do synagogue. That means that you're asking good questions and you're exploring the text and you're really reaching in to get as much as you can. It's just that when, G when Stephen is doing the interpretation, he's doing it with the assumption that Jesus is the Messiah and God is in the business of bringing about his kingdom because of Jesus. And that is going to shift and change everything in the way that they start pulling open their scripture. So they pull him before the Sanhedrin. Two primary points against Stephen. You're challenging the temple and you're challenging the law of Moses. More the instructions God gave to his people about how to have a flourishing life given through Moses, right? That, so you're challenging. These are two core identity things for the Jews, especially since the time that they were in exile in Babylon. Because once they were pulled, a people pulled out of their land away from a destroyed temple in Jerusalem to Babylon, they were like, well, who are we now? Like, as a people ripped apart from your homeland, who are you? What's your identity? And of the four key things that they said, well, we keep kosher, we circumcise our boys, we monitor, we pay attention to sacred time and holidays, and there is one God in one temple. And all of that now, is being challenged by Stephen's interpretation of their own scriptures. So the Sanhedrin, these charges are brought against Stephen, and Stephen gets up to plead his case, and he does what any really good Jew would do. He doesn't do the Greek logic of point A, point B, point C, therefore I'm innocent. That's not at all how they would do it. They turned and they faced their past, and they go through the entire story of their past to say, and now because of our past, now we can understand where we are today and the events of today because of what came before us. And so Stephen is not pleading his innocence as much as he's claiming what is true. And that's going to get him into trouble. And so the whole reason we included so much text here is, well, one, because I'm an Old Testament scholar and like I didn't want the Old Testament bits and pieces to be pulled out uh, because like this is the stuff we should be paying attention to. But also it's because sometimes what we need to resist anyway is we get to something we're like, oh, he's telling the story of Abraham. I know this story, so blah, 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 blah. Let's get back to stoning of Stephen. And we skip kind of this retelling because we're like, I already know that story. They, why do I have to hear it? They knew this story, but Stephen said, you need to hear it. And so the whole entire point that Stephen is making is, how are you going to retell the story? So which people do you mention? Which events do you mention? And because of that, oh, that becomes the explosive message 
that leads to the stoning of him afterwards. So we have, we have to read this, right? We have to pay attention, right? So just nod and say, yes, Cindy, we understand. And we'll dive with you into the Hebrew Bible because that's what's so fun. Okay, so pull out the bulletin um, or your Bibles if you're home. Pause, pause the video if you need to. And we're going to look, and I'm not going to read every single word, but I want us to look for the pattern. What is it that Stephen is saying? And who does he mention? And what events does he associate with the people he chooses to mention? And we're going to start with Abraham, because you always start with Abraham, because we're going to start with the patriarchs. We're starting with this moment when God chose a family out of all the nations and said, I'm going to work through this family. And so we know we're telling an Israelite story. We're telling, you know, in terms of Stephen standing in front of the Sanhedrin, we're telling an us story, right? It's their story, their heritage. And that's what he's saying. So he's going to start with Abraham, who's in Mesopotamia before he leaves Haran. And God gives Abraham this amazing call that's really astounding. Leave everything, everything that anchors you, that moors you, that gives you comfort and gives you identity. Leave all of it and go into a place where you don't even own one foot of land. And I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance, you and your descendants, even though you don't have any just yet. And if we skip down to verse 8, it says... Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, which means, and he made Abraham his family. And so now we have a father-son relationship here. And he's like, this is my house, and my house is going to live by my rules, and I'm going to take care of my house. So this is a family story. And Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And I'll just do my own little aside. Hats off to the matriarchs who were partners in that whole endeavor. So we have a patriarch story, and then we're going to focus on Joseph. Okay, so now the story is going to continue through Joseph, except Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And they send him out of this land of inheritance, and he's down in Egypt. But through Joseph in Egypt, God saves his people. And then in Egypt, time goes on, and so now we have Moses, because now the people are enslaved, and so God raises up Moses. Um, and Moses himself has been rejected by his own people, and so he's in Midian. And so Jesus, or God has to pull him out of Midian, go back to Egypt, and you're going to save your people. And then the people get frustrated with Moses, and the people turn against Moses, and they want to go back to Egypt instead. So now we get 40 years in the wilderness, and we're going to get um, a little bit further on in verse 37. Moses tells all of the Israelites who are there, God is going to raise up a prophet for you from your own people as he raised me up. And then in verse 39, it says, our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside. This is Moses. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So we've had yet another leader, and the people are pushing and rejecting this leader. 
So then we're going to, you know, he kind of fast forwards and he starts going a lot quicker from here on out. So then Joshua brings the tent of meeting the tabernacle into the land. And then we have David. David wants to build a temple, but it's his son Solomon who does. Although we all know God cannot be contained in a building. Right, so then we get to this where he's, uh, he's quoting from Isaiah 66 here. And so this is in verse 49. And he quotes, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen is throwing in this quote from the prophets just to remind everyone Right? God can be found in the temple, yes. And don't take standing in front of the presence of God lightly. That is to be honored and respected. But God can't be contained by the temple because it's all God's. And God can be everywhere. And it's not just Isaiah who says this. I mean, earlier in Isaiah, actually, it's a passage I really love, but Isaiah and Hosea and Amos, there's actually lots of the prophets. They always depict God. It's almost like he plugs his ears and is like, like, stop, stop. The noisy symbols, the crazy songs you're singing, the yelling of your festivals, like, it's annoying. These moments when God gets really frustrated with his people and is like, just stop. If you really want to worship me, imitate me. So all the time, the prophets are going, the way we're showing up at the temple, it's like we're manipulating, we're appeasing God to get something out of him. We can't do that. We're God's people when we imitate who God is. So Stephen is reminding the Sanhedrin that that is the case. And then he's going to say, and you, Sanhedrin, we're going to turn the tables on you now. You are just like our forefathers. You have rejected everyone that God sent. And you rejected the one who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. And then you rejected the righteous one himself when he came. You are just like your forebearers. Okay, so you can almost hear the gnashing of teeth that would happen here. Like, that, how dare you? Like, you know, this is just really offensive. But we, we look and we go, what is it that Stephen is doing in the retelling of the history? Well, Stephen is putting himself in a very long line of people who've had these dramatic encounters with God, where God said, I am choosing you to be a leader. Stand up and lead my people. And every single time, God's own people rejected that leader. And Stephen is going, you did it with Abraham. You did it with Joseph. You did it with Moses. You did it with the temple. You did it with John the Baptist, with Jesus, and now with me. But wait, there's even more, more offense to be had. Because every event that Stephen chose to talk about, except for Solomon building the temple in Jerusalem, every single event happened outside the land, in Mesopotamia, in Egypt, in the wilderness. There is a very distinct God has been working from the beginning of time, not contained by space or a land. 
And so this offense that people were bringing against him about your speaking against the temple, he's like, the temple doesn't contain God's spirit, which has now been poured out and is on its way outside the land again. And it's highly offensive because as Stephen is saying that, he then lifts up his eyes and he's like, oh, and by the way, Jesus, the son of man, the one whom just a few weeks ago you killed, is standing in the presence of God. And that is blasphemous. That, like, how can a human stand in the presence of God? I can't. You know, so in the blasphemy, now they go out and they're going to stone Stephen. So there's a challenge in this text. Uh, There's probably lots of challenges. And they all wrap up around the spirit. How are we interpreting the spirit, God's spirit poured out on his people? And we could probably read ourselves um, maybe into different characters that are in the text. We like to choose the protagonist. So maybe you've been thinking about this in terms of you being Stephen. And maybe so. In which case we go, oh, that's actually kind of a challenging message because Stephen was filled with the Spirit. He was speaking in wisdom. He was doing all the right things. And at the end, he's going to be killed. Right? He's literally following in the footsteps of Jesus in that way, which is a challenge to us. Now, maybe uh, you find yourself in the synagogue, right, in the community of people who are like, look, your interpretation of Scripture is shaking and challenging the, the core understanding of who I am, my identity. And maybe, like I would more naturally read myself into the Sanhedrin, right? Who are the scholars, right? Who are the people who've analyzed the scriptures and are like, I understand where we're at, what's going on. I know what God is doing. But in that self-confidence, they become completely blind to what it is that God is actually doing. And when they hear Stephen say, you have blinders on, you're not seeing the truth of what God is doing. Because God's kingdom that he's initiating is reaching its arms wide. Anchored in this story, this Israelite story, yes. Anchored in the Jewish community, yes. But arms reaching very far out and gathering all kinds of people in. Are you going to create space for them? And they're like, no, we're not. And I find this to be an interesting challenge for us because we often think the story of Scripture is all about us. It's about me. Like, what am I taking away from this today, right? What does this mean to me? And I'd go, you know what, though? Like like Stephen is saying, it's actually not about you. It involves you because you've been invited into this kingdom of God. And there's been a very hospitable invitation given. Everyone can come and participate in building a three-dimensional kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. But it's God's story and it's God's kingdom. And it's going to push boundaries of human strength and power. Uh, These human structures that make us feel like us against them. We get this identity. We understand what are we doing? 
And God's kingdom has this habit of pushing against a lot of those boundaries. This event becomes a pivotal moment in the early church because with the death of Stephen comes the persecution of the church, comes the pushing out and the spread of people finally to go do what Jesus told them initially. When the Holy Spirit comes, be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we look towards tomorrow, next week, we're going to start watching how this early church goes out in their understanding of kingdom of God being something bigger and more beautiful and more inclusive than something that they initially anticipated. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, there's something amazing about rehearsing history, about pointing out the ways in which you've been fully active and involved in human history throughout long periods of time. And as we think of the story that Stephen crafted in order to point towards truth into what the Holy Spirit is doing and what you are doing, and we recognize that your own people throughout time have had a habit of rejecting the things that you are doing. And I just pray for Resurrection Philadelphia as we enter into this next week that we're actively looking for where the Holy Spirit is going and we are actively humbling ourselves before the Spirit and saying, help us understand what you're doing. And then may we walk forward in that, in knowing that it is your kingdom and your servant leadership structures of your kingdom that are to be prioritized over any kind of empire building that we feel more comfortable doing. And in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.